For IC Church's Favour Women, I'm Marion Wright and this is Favourite Friends, the podcast that shares the beautiful, hopeful and encouraging stories of Christian women. This episode's very special guest is Beck Cunningham. Beck, along with her husband Grant, pastors our Brisbane City campus. And as you're about to hear, Beck is a wife, a mother, a business owner and a pastor. She has an incredible story. You're going to find out heaps about her in this episode. Things like what it was like to grow up as a pastor's kid, the amazing story of meeting and marrying her husband, Grant, and what it was like to walk through seasons that left her on the sidelines. I found her so honest and inspiring, but so encouraging at the same time. I know you're going to enjoy it. Here's Beck. So... At the moment, what is your favourite thing to do? Ooh, favourite thing to do? Probably have a nap. <laughs> um, other than that, I just, I'm a quality timer. I love hanging with the fam. Um, I long for it 24-7. That's beautiful. Um, love going to the beach with them. We love going to cafes that off, you know, it doesn't always last very long. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. so that's my favourite thing. What is your favourite thing to wear or, alternatively, your favourite item in your wardrobe? Oh, that's a hard one. I do love my, like, dressed up tracky pants, which I'm actually wearing right now. Fun. Um, they are cool. I'm very much a streetwear, but not daggy, you know, like classy streetwear. <laughs> um, but then I also love a Sunday morning dress up as well. Yeah, cool. Do you have a favourite book? Oh, I do have a favourite book called The Dream Giver by Bruce Wilkinson. What's it about? It is uh, just written so creatively. The first half of the book is um, basically talks about a man called Mr Ordinary who lived in the land of familiar. <laughs> and oh, um, it's whoa. written in a parallel type universe like that. And one day he wakes up because the dream giver's given him a dream and he goes back to his usual job and um, does all the usual things, talks to his best friend, but then gets home and realises it's very monotonous and the dream giver keeps pushing him to take a step out and follow his dream. And so pretty much the first half of the book talks about the phases of following your dream and how you get to the, the border and sometimes it's such a lot of energy to get even to the border of your dream but then you've got um, people that are like looking out for you because they love you. Um, but he um, like identifies them as border bullies. And so, and you can't see who they are at first, but as he draws closer, he realizes that it's actually the people that are the closest to him. It's his best friend, it's his family. And he can't understand why they're, you know, being border bullies because they're trying to keep him back, but it's out of love. Um, They don't want him to fail. So he ends up pushing through the border and then he gets to the wasteland (laughs) and um, then it gets too hard and he comes back home, goes back to normal, you know, goes back to his land of familiar, does his normal job. But then he he just wrestles with, because he's seen a glimpse of chasing his dream, he just, he has to go for it again. And then next time he goes, he pushes past the, the border bullies and pushes past the wasteland and finally gets to his dream. So it's pretty cool. Whoa. Yep. 
<laughs> if you could see my face right now, yes. my mouth was open the whole time you were talking. It was. That sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah. Do you listen to podcasts? I listen to favorite friends. Um. Do you listen to any others? I do. Um, Is I there listen... one that like you're really into at the moment? Yeah, I'm doing a bit of a business course at the moment with a girl called Tracy Harris, um, and she's from Mums with Hustle. Um, and she's just sort of coaching mums in business, startups. So I find it really interesting. Yeah. Cool. What's your favourite thing about church? Ooh, lots of things, <laughs> again. Um, I think since coming to IC, definitely I love just the power of the Holy Spirit that is so evident in every service. It's just absolutely pumping you can't ignore it it's thick like you walk in you walk in from outside and even before the the worships happened or whatever you can just tell that the place has been primed ready for you to walk in ready for you to um just experience the supernatural and I think that's the biggest thing that stood out to me since being there what's your favorite thing about being a mum oh man um I love the cuddles. Um, as much as bedtimes can be stressful, <laughs> especially when my husband's away, which we have been through some seasons where he's been away a lot. So bedtimes can be taxing um, by that time of the day, but I also love it because um, it's a time where everyone just slows down. We read to each other. We talk about our day. Especially having girls, that's the time of the day that they love to chat. And um, I guess I've just trained myself to just linger a little bit longer, even if you're tired, even if you're exhausted, um, even if I'm already thinking about what I can watch on TV next, just to have my own downtime. I love just being able to sit and say, so how was your day? And then pausing. Sometimes I do have to rein it down a little bit because <laughs> um, we'd be there till midnight with, you know, two girls. But they love to talk and I just think sometimes they haven't, um, you know, used their whole word count for the day <laughs> and they need to get it out of bedtime. So you have three kids. Yes. You've got two girls and a boy. Yep. Tell me about them. Tell me how old they are. So Riley is, she's just turned 11. Um, Abby's seven. And Boston is too. Boston's our little surprise baby that came along five and a half years later. So, yeah. I asked you to tell me a bit about yourself. Mm. And you said that currently you identify as a wife, a mother, <laughs> a sister, an auntie, a daughter, a friend, a pastor, a business owner. There are a lot of different plates spinning. Mm-hmm. Becky, your life sounds exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna, a little bit. We're going to talk about all those things. Um, so like we just said, you are a mother at the moment. Mm-hmm. You currently pastor with your husband at mm-hmm. our city campus. Um, you also own a business. Mm-hmm. Tell us a bit about your business. Wow. Where to start with that? Um, well, we I run it with my mum. You do. You pastor because of your heart and you love people and my mum just wanted to get creative to earn a little bit more revenue, really, to fuel some other projects that she wanted to do. Um, 
And she tried to get me on board for a couple of years and I kept saying, no, 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 no. Um, probably because I just had my third child, which was a surprise. You know, we were at the stage with our family. We sort of moved past the baby phase. So I was right back in the thick of it all. And um, it was just a bit too much for me at that time. But I eventually came around a couple of months later. And um, yeah, mum just said, look, if we're going to do something, what would you be interested in? And I said, well, I'm in the baby phase again. Um, especially having a boy, I would go to different stores and I just couldn't find, I couldn't even find a plain black t-shirt at that stage. Everything had um, Thomas the Tank Engine on it or it was all licensed. And so originally I actually wanted to start just doing t-shirts for boys because I couldn't find anything that I wanted to dress my boy in. And we don't even sell that now, but um, that sort of got the ball rolling of uh, where we wanted to go. So I just wanted to have lifestyle, minimal type products that I could run around and be a busy mum with, <laughs> but when, stuff I actually liked, you know. When did you start the business? Uh, we launched in January last year, so 2018. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, yeah. I do have questions to ask you a bit more about that later. Awesome. I want to start with you said that you grew up as a pastor's kid, mm -hmm. you were just saying. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about what that was like. What was it like to grow up as a pastor's kid? Um, it was fun to be honest. Um, we, it was a busy life. Um, we weren't home much. <laughs> um, if we weren't, you know, at church for a meeting or for a church service, we were at someone's house, um, you know, doing life together. So it was definitely um, busy. And I probably didn't realise that as a kid, but um, I see myself chasing that now. Like when we've got downtime, it feels weird. We've just always lived at a fast pace but I think God gives you the capacity for that as well um, and I just remember my dad you know my dad traveled a little bit as well and um, but if if church, the church calendar had been busy for a while we'd wake up one Monday morning and and we used to call it a KDO because our last name was Kennedy so instead of a, um, an RDO it was a KDO so Dad would come in and he'd be, he'd be like, guess what? We're having a KDO today. And so we all knew what that meant. And that meant we didn't have to go to school. Um, so we would get up, we'd get dressed, we'd sit at the breakfast table and, and wait with bated breath to hear what exciting activity we were going to do as a family. And most of the time, I think, because we had Dreamworld passes at the time. So we knew it would be a day at Dreamworld instead of going to school. So I just, I really remember particularly those times um you know mum and dad understood that you know we all did life together but when you know when things got busy it was just like okay it's time to regroup let's have have a day of fun my dad really knows how to throw a party and have fun <laughs> so that makes it all all worth it did you ever struggle or resent the way you grew up um I I do remember in high school a couple of times probably resenting and this sound, it sounds so selfish now um, but I do remember thinking one year why can't we just have Christmas by ourselves you know like with us as a family we've never had a Christmas where it's just been our family 
And I look at that now and I actually value it. Um, but at the time when I was feeling a bit selfish, um, yeah, just because half the time our Christmas table was full of strangers <laughs> that I'd never met before. But obviously now I understand um, that that's because they didn't have a home to go to. And I'm very grateful to be a part of it now. But yeah. Did you grow up in a Pentecostal church? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I imagine that the reality of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and Mm. all of that really, you know, um, like our expression of Christianity is is very intense compared Mm. to others. Yeah. And so I wanted to ask you where in there did you find Jesus for yourself? Mm. Um, Well, I clearly remember being at Sunday school. I did walk down the front when I was about five. I vaguely remember it. Um, But I think I had my first real, I mean, I'd already had a God encounter before then, but I think I went on a youth camp when I was 13 and I remember being baptised by the Holy Spirit, you know, um, getting your heavenly language. And that, um, that camp really stands out to me in my mind. I just remember... Um, you know, running down the front, arms open wide. I didn't care about what my friends thought about me. And that was probably the first time that I just became fully sold out for myself. Like I actually understood it for myself and had a real God encounter at that camp. So that was when you were Mm. 14? 13. 13. Amazing. Mm. How did your life change after that? I was just probably a bit more bubbly, um, I I have a funny personality. I am an extrovert, but I am like a quieter extrovert, if that makes sense. Um, if you've ever met my husband, for example, he's a loud extrovert. <laughs> and so I am, I'm definitely not, like I'm not life of the party type of thing, but I am just powered by people. And I think that's probably what catapulted me to doing that. I just, yeah, lots of energy. Um, charisma, I guess, whatever you would call that, um, just a, a drawing to other people. I guess my eyes, you know, I took my eyes off myself and I started to look obviously up but then out as well. So I think that's how it changed me. Did God give you a dream for your future when you were younger? Um, I always struggled to know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, you know, being a pastor's kid, it is good. It is fun. Um, you know, you get to go to conferences instead of school as well, stuff like that. (laughs) You sort of, it's a good life. You know, I've heard some pastors, kids complain about the life that they've had to live. I definitely don't feel like that. I feel like I'm blessed to have had that experience. Um, but I've totally forgotten the question you asked me. Oh, what did I ask you? <laughs> I just totally went like off. Oh, did God give you a dream for your future? Oh, that's right. So I probably always wrestled with, um, as much as I loved being a pastor's kid, I was like, oh, I, don't, I definitely don't want to do this when I'm older. <laughs> um, particularly when I was 17, I was kind of dreaming about one day I'll get to sort of come in, sit in the back row if I want to. You know, I can leave early if I want to and go for lunch. So funny to think of that now. Like, who even cares about that stuff now? But, um, yeah, I come back to the to the thought of I wrestled with not wanting to 
do what mum and dad did and I don't even know why. Uh, Maybe just going through that season of wanting to make a way for myself. But also so drawn to that as well. So I remember being in year 12 and um, because I ended up studying nursing after year 12 but I didn't even know what I was going to do at the start of year 12. (laughs) I remember my friend saying to me, Oh, I think I'm going to do nursing and because I want to work in paediatrics with all the babies. And then we both got talking about how cool that would be and that's what sparked that in me. That's what ended up taking me to nursing. Um, And I do believe that was a God conversation that was had at that time. But I am a bit of a dreamer and so I've always had probably – I've never had one project on the go. I've always had – a few sort of things on the go but yeah I would say I never really knew what my dream was gonna be until I finished school so yeah so you got into nursing Mm. you practice nursing yeah for how long um well I've still still got my registration um I'm actually in the process of deciding whether I'm going to go back just for one day a week because I you have to do certain things to keep your registration and I'm nearing the point now where I probably need to take some action (laughs) um I've probably got another two years before I have to have to have to go back um but my most recent job which was just before I had Boston so he's only two so I've only been out probably two and a half years um but my most recent job was at the Marta Mothers and I um test all the newborn hearing when they're first born and I've been doing that for nearly 10 years now so it's a beautiful job I think nurses are amazing yeah I think anyone that gives their life to work with the general public yep special person (laughs) yeah yeah I have worked in surgical before and that's full on full on (laughs) so yeah how did nursing change the way you lived your Christian life I think um, it gives you eyes to look, take your eyes off your own circumstances because you realise perhaps the things you were complaining about aren't so big anymore. (laughs) Um, As I mentioned before, you know, I've worked in the surgical ward and, and I was only 17, not 17, 19 when I first started that job. So I was very like very fresh and um, I just remember like reading on handover sheets patients that had had surgery a couple of days before whom I'd been looking after for the past week so you build a bit of a bond with them particularly when they're in their vulnerable state Um, but them like seeing them then get results back that they had cancer or that you know the doctor had tried to go in and operate but they weren't successful you know things like that um seeing people pass away that you have built you know a bit of a relationship with over time because working in that ward with cancer you know they sort of they'll go home but they come back so it's like a long-term type of thing Um, but yeah I think it just helps you be grateful for what you've got and um it's very much, if you're a nurse, you're definitely a caring person. I would well, it's a hope. caring profession, um, so yeah, absolutely. But yeah, this helps you go the extra mile, I think, and, and see with eyes that perhaps other people don't see. 
Yeah. Did it ever... Like, I know sometimes I see stuff and I go to God, like, why is this happening? You Mm. know, did it ever make you question God and his ways Mm. and his purpose? Mm. I think, to be honest, it didn't. I just have always... And I can credit that to my parents, really. Um, We did have a family friend um, pass away at a very young age, in their late 20s. Um, You know, from the moment they were diagnosed to the time that he went to be with Jesus was very, very fast. And I remember being at work when I got the news. So I probably never experienced it with the patients that I didn't know overly well but with this particular friend I definitely went home and and questioned it because and I remember he died just a couple of days before Father's Day and I just couldn't understand why this would happen but I remember calling my dad and he just said to me Beck there's no point sitting around questioning things because God's God you know he he knows you just got to trust that We'll find out one day, but for now, you just got to trust it. And because I trusted my dad, I did. I just trusted it. So, yeah, it was tough, but but we we just trusted him in the end. Tell me about meeting Grant, your husband. <laughs> How long have you guys been married now? It's coming up to 16 years this June that we've been married. Um I always joke that I was a child bride. <laughs> How old were you? I was, uh, I was 19 when I got married. Yeah, that's I was young. 17 when I met him. That's young. Yeah. Yeah. Very I think young. That counts as child bride. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> he always brags he married a teenager. So. <laughs> not sure yeah. if he should. Perhaps not. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know who told. I think Pastor Joe was like, you have to ask them because I think you guys talked about it in church. She, yes. I think she interviewed you. Yeah, she did. And she was like, were you there? I was like, no, I think I missed it. She yeah. said, just make sure you ask about it. So, so tell funny. me, tell me about how you both met. Oh, mate, he was <laughs> disgusting when I met him. <laughs> um, sorry, babe, but he's come a long way. Um, well, I so I got a job at Baker's Delight um, my best friend at the time was working there and, and I needed a job because I was studying. And so she uh, got me this job. I walked up to the counter at Baker's Delight and um, this feral <laughs> person greeted me at the gate. And um, I'll just describe him for a little bit. Like he had this layered hair around the front, um, almost like a bit of a, a layered style cut at the front like almost like a bob and then but at the back he had this really long ponytail and his hair was greasy he was about 55 kilos he was white as um really gaunt very skinny eyes sunken in um he was gross (laughs) but I remember him greeting me and he was just such a nice person I know that's like so cliche to say and you're not good looking, you've got a good personality, but um, he did, he was the epitome of this, and I just, what stood out to me was how he treated me, he just respected me, he was funny, um, and we just got on like a house on fire really quickly, and um, I was actually dating someone else at the time, so I never really thought 
much else of it. But later, even now, he says to me, I still remember everything that you were wearing, like down to the shoes. (laughs) So he took notice of me, but I didn't really take notice of him. Um, And yeah, so that was like in the January. And then by April, because he just kept asking me out and I'm like, dude, I've got a boyfriend. And then finally I broke up with this other guy and he just thought it was the best day ever and um, asked me to the movies. And I, to be honest, I was like, I am so sick of this guy asking me out. Um, so I said yes, purely just to get him off my back, full well knowing that I was not going out with him. Um, so we had organized to go out to the movies on Saturday night. But for starters, I knew I wouldn't be allowed to because I was only 17, still dependent on my parents. And secondly, we had youth on on Saturday night. So, But I knew his routine. I knew he started work at 2 a.m. He finished at about 11. He'd go across to the pub. He'd drink all afternoon, all through till about midnight. And then he would duck home, have a shower, sometimes have a half an hour like um, power sleep. And he'd get up and do it all over again. So I knew that if I called him in the afternoon and then said, oh, look, I actually can't come, I knew he'd be a little bit off his face and not be as offended. (laughs) So that was my grand plan. So I called him and I said, hey, listen, I just want you to know, like, I'm really thankful that you asked me out to the movies, but I'm not going to be able to make it tonight. And to be honest, I thought that would be the end of it. But he was so devastated um, in his voice that I thought, okay, you know what? We've got youth on tonight. (laughs) If you can get yourself there, because he lived in the city and our youth was at Logan um, and he'd lost his license as well. So I said, if you can get yourself there, we'll get you a lift home. And to be honest, I didn't really expect him to, to rock up, but he did. And I got there early and these youth leaders were like, oh, Beck, there's this guy outside. He's saying that he knows you. And being the pastor's kid, especially being a girl, you know, they were quite protective of me. And so I pretty much just got around the guy leaders and I said, look, this is the situation that I'm in. Um, I know this guy likes me uh, and I know he's a, a drug addict, alcoholic. Um, so I just want you guys to get around him because it's not appropriate for me you know, to hook in with him and especially even just lead him on a journey if he was to even follow Jesus in the end. But, and you know what, they, they did me proud. They, they really just, they just took him under his wing. And one guy in particular, his name's Dan. And I just, we owe Grant's life to him because he just got around him and, and, yeah, just supported him and ended up being a groomsman at the wedding, stuff like that. And on Good Friday, uh, he ended up putting his hand up and he walked down the front and gave his life to Jesus. And I mean, I've been in church my whole life. You hear about stories like that, but like it felt like overnight that all of that stuff just broke off him, off his life. And my friend that I mentioned before who got me the job at Baker's Delight, she um, ended up leaving uni to become a hairdresser. And so we sort of came up with this plan and said, hey, hey, Grant, you know, 
Sarah needs some practice cutting some hair. Do you reckon we could shave your head? And she did not need practice. We just wanted to get rid of that horrible hairdo. It was disgusting. Um, So we shaved his head. Um, (laughs) I mentioned this at church too, actually. Um, The next week he got baptised. And I don't know, there's a particular surf brand, which I won't mention because I don't like it, but he was wearing this particular T-shirt. And on the back of these T-shirts can be some graphic uh, pictures of um, of things. <laughs> anyway, he gets baptised. He turns around. His whole back is now facing the entire congregation of more than 500 people. And there's this inappropriate graphic on the back of his T-shirt. And me and Sarah just looked at each other and we're like, okay, we've done the haircut. We need to go to his house. We need to go through his wardrobe <laughs> and we need to get this guy sorted out. So within two weeks... Um, he'd had a makeover (laughs) for a start, Um, but he wasn't drinking, he wasn't doing drugs and he he was gambling at the time as well and he had stopped all of that within two weeks and um, I've never, ever witnessed that before and if you had met him, you know, for the first time two weeks later, you would never, ever have known. There was like no hint of him ever having dabbled in that stuff, so it's pretty cool. (laughs) <laughs> so how long after that did you guys mm. start dating well he wanted to date straight away naturally <laughs> and I think a part of him was like and he did definitely come you know he came to church for me without a shadow of a doubt but I think once he got there and had his own experience I, I failed to say before the first night he came to youth was a big games night and um, we had those big sumo suits where, you, you know, you wrestle and stuff. And we were all like a bit like what they were doing with tribal wars these days. It was a bit like that. And he just remembers sitting there thinking, what on earth are these people doing? How can they be having so much fun when they're, they're not drinking? You know, they're not doing drugs. You know, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> and so anyway, fast forward to you know, just after Easter, I just remember having a conversation with him and saying, and again, I don't know where the maturity came from. I was only 17. And that I think is the fruit of, when I look back, um, just the fruit of giving your whole life to God and um, you sort of get wisdom beyond your years. And I just remember saying to him, "I, I love what you've done so far. Um, but just so you know, I'm not going to go out with you. (laughs) Um, we'll talk about that, you know, in six months time. And I never led on to him that I was testing him, but there was something in me that just said, how do you know that he's not just doing this for you? You know, we need to let him stand the test of time. And then if he does, then, you know, we'll talk about it then talk about it then <laughs> so yeah that's how it happened and so it was I think December so he got I was gonna say he got married he got uh, saved in April and it was in December that we started going out the 
Look, we're so excited that you listen to Favourite Friends, but you know what? We have many more exciting things attached to our favourite brand, and one of them is you can actually head to our store, uh, which is a place you can find all our gorgeous favourite things. And if you head to icchurch.com, you'll find our store right there. We have candles, we have T-shirts, we have a tote bag, but we also have our favourite magazine, new editions coming out every March and October, so make sure you head to the store and see what we've got available. Did it ever scare you, his past? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think at first it sounds a bit wild, but because I never really, I was never really a rebellious child. Um, I was always the peacemaker and the compliant one. Um, so a part of it excited me. <laughs> I kind of felt like, ooh, I'm going out with a, you know, a worldly boy, um, which sounds so funny now. But so there was a part of it that excited me, but then there was a part that, yeah, it definitely, it did scare me, yes, because I often thought, oh, okay, you're good now, but will you be like this forever? And But that was part of the reason why I waited to go out with him because I just thought if I give him, if I give myself to him straight away, then he's got everything he came here for. And I just needed him to just have his own revelation and have his own experience so that he was strong on his own before, you know, we became a couple. So did your parents freak out? Yes. <laughs> I do remember having the awkward conversation because I'd been going home, you know, saying things like, oh, there's this really ugly guy at work that likes me. He's so gross. He's so disgusting. And I probably said that more because we were living in the local area and, you know, they'd come past while I was working. I just, I didn't want them to get a fright to see this guy talking to me Um, because we dropped him home a couple of times as well. Um, because he didn't have his license but um, yeah I do remember going home and I I left it till it was like midnight so I knew mum and dad would be in bed I got home from youth and I went down and I sat on the end of their bed and because the light you know the lights were out because they were going to sleep so it was it was good because I knew they couldn't see my face (laughs) but I do remember having this thought like well this is never going to, because I, I realized I'd liked him then. And I realized this is never going to move forward if I just, if I don't have a conversation with mum and dad. So I sat on the end of their bed in the dark so they couldn't see me. And I was like real sheepish. And I was like, oh, you know, that really gross guy. I mean, they knew him by then because he'd been to church, but I think I like him. And um, I can't really remember what they said. I just remember mum being like, okay, yep, let's talk about that in the morning. (laughs) Um, And then my dad took him out and basically said, if you want to date my daughter, you need to come and date the family for three months first. And um, so that's what he did. And dad just said, you know, our fridge is your fridge. Come, Come for dinner whenever you want. Um, come and hang out with us because at the end of the day if you end up marrying this girl then you're stuck with all of us forever so if you don't like us then there's a problem so I really respect 
that dad did that that now at at the time I didn't quite understand it but I totally understand it now (laughs) were you ever worried he'd relapse I don't think so um no I don't think it's never really entered my mind to be honest um I think because I saw such the radical change and the discipline and he's been, he's had this prophesied over him since then, even as late as last year, um, that, you know, God sees how disciplined he is and that's been something that you can't ignore. And I think just witnessing, of course, he it was a miracle that all that stuff broke off his life, but he has had an opportunity, you know, to to have a drink or to have, you know, a good time with his friends since then. But just watching the discipline in his life, um, I think that just gave me a confidence that I've never been worried, never. <laughs> so so you got married young. Yep. How did you know he was it? Um, it sounds funny, but I just had a gut feeling. <laughs> and I just find that often your gut feeling is your God feeling. And I just don't complicate it. It's just, you know, God gives us gives us a radar and gives us alarm bells for a reason. And I think because we'd walked through so much um, with of that stuff, I just knew. Is that yeah. why you decided to do it so young? Yeah, well, it's funny because it's funny you say that because people at work were like, oh, I can't believe you're getting married so young. Like, why don't you go off and travel and see the world first, um, get educated? And I'd be like, but we can do that, but why not do that with my best friend? And that was the beauty of it. We were best friends before we had a relationship because, and that not that the best foundation to build a relationship on? Um, because I waited I didn't just give him everything he wanted (laughs) up front and that definitely paid off in the end 16 years of marriage Mm. what is your key to successful marriage um, get over things quickly (laughs) Uh, learn to like choose your battles Um, definitely keeping a sweet spirit and just having fun, I think, you know, we we factor into our weekly schedule the time that we're going to spend as a family. Um, to be honest, we haven't been amazing at making a regular date night, but we've been getting better at that in the last two years now that we're out of newborn phase again. Um, but just making time to reconnect because it can be really noisy, uh, especially when you add kids to the tribe. Um, but... I just think it's really important that you've got to spend time together as well, but also as a family unit Um, and not just, you know, not just spending time together at church or going to church. That's definitely important, don't get me wrong, but actually taking time to regroup, you know, learn about each other, grow with each other, even your relationships within your family members because we're all changing, we're all growing um, I would hope that I'm not the same person that I was 12 months ago, <laughs> two years ago. So you've got to relearn and you've got to grow in those relationships all the time. So I think that's important. I want to ask you this question, but I haven't mm. thought about how I'm going to phrase it just yet. So give me a <laughs> um, 
I like what you said about <laughs> getting to know each other and learning stuff about each other. I think Grant's past, and I mean everyone brings stuff mm. into a marriage. Like, yeah. you know, there's an element of baggage or there's, you know, various types of trauma mm. and experience that we bring yeah. to a marriage. And then once you're together, it can be really startling mm. to look into each other's darkness. Yeah. And I wondered if you had any wisdom for how to do that with the Holy Spirit. Like mm. we, that's real, you yeah. know, and I think all of us who are married or in long-term relationships have had those moments where mm. we're faced with our partner's trauma or yeah. faced with our partner's darkness, you mm. know, that's human. Mm-hmm. And we know God works in that. Mm. But how, as a wife and as a Christian, do you navigate that with wisdom mm. and with love? I think there's, there's probably a number of different answers to that because it depends, you know, on what stage you're up to. Obviously, the darkness after year one is going to be different to how you deal with it in year 16. Um, but in terms of past darkness, I just remember one thing that my dad said to Grant, um, oh, because what happened when Grant got saved, he kept going out the front like every week and until the youth pastor at the time sort of pulled him aside and said, hey, mate, I just want you to know, like, it's awesome that you've put your hand up, you've come down the front, um, but you don't have to keep coming down. You know, you've made that decision. Why do you keep coming down? And Grant just said, oh, I've just done so much bad stuff. I don't, I can't understand how God can forgive you in just one time down the front. (laughs) And I love that. I get so precious to, it's just, and it's such an amazing lesson of God's grace. And the youth pastor at the time just explained, you know, (laughs) the beauty of it is, Grant, is it does take one time. It doesn't matter what you've done. It takes one time of acknowledging God, I need you, and the miracles happened. You're forgiven. You, it's done. It's over. And um, I said that to say that my dad said to Grant once, um, you know, Grant, I don't care where you've been or, or what you've done. All I care about is where you're going. And that has, I guess, been a bit of a mantra for me, even in pre-marriage counselling. You know, it was my youth pastor that took us through that. He said to me, Beck, if you've got any questions about Grant's past, it has to be asked. I mean, I could have done whatever I wanted, but he advised me, it has to be asked and answered in this time before you get married. Because we want to deal with this before you get married. Once you go in, he said, you ask, no question is off the table. Um, you ask whatever you want to, but once you enter into your marriage, it's a it's a clean slate. It's a fresh start, um, and I want you to make a decision to to get all those questions out before you know entering into this new covenant. And so I took that really seriously. And I've never there's been times where I've wanted to ask a couple of things, you know, like I. I I don't know if he, I don't think he would mind me saying this, but, you know, we've met people at the shops and I've wondered, um, you know, are they from the past? 
And I, to be honest, I just submitted it to God instead because it just rung true in my head what my youth pastor had said. You know, why drudge up the past? He's dealt with it, you know. So I just, I refused to, and the truth is, if even if I did ask Grant, he wouldn't even care. He would answer it for sure. But I just decided, you know, i got to give my burden to God, not to Grant, and, and actually give him, give him a chance. Like, just because he's done some of that stuff doesn't discount that I had a bad thought yesterday or, you know, sin is a sin. It's all the same. So... That's probably my view on that. Um, but as far as um, dealing with, you know, your darkness now, because that still happens, um, the enemy's real and still likes to dangle some carrots every now and then. Um, we're just very keen on communication. <laughs> and I know that's been said over and over and over, you know, communication is the key. But very early on in our marriage, because I'd done a prac in a mental health unit, um, I learnt some of those communication skills really early. And up on the board it had said, when you do this, it makes me feel like this. (laughs) And so we made that our catchphrase for any conflict. Um, That way, if I come to him and say, when babe hey babe when you've been doing that that actually makes me feel like this that other person can't come back to you and say well no it doesn't because your feelings are yours like no one else can feel them except for you and it sort of cancels out any judgment Um, you're not saying you always do this all the time it's more no when that stuff happens this is how it makes me feel and it just sort of takes away any judgment you can have a conversation most of the time the other person is like oh I'm so sorry I didn't realize you know that's what it was making you feel like and then you can talk about it and get on with it Um, but we're really deliberate at just not stewing on things like I (laughs) and I'm not having to go at anyone but I know people that when they have an argument with their spouse, sometimes they don't speak for a week. (laughs) We have never, ever gone past a day like that, you know, the scripture about don't let the sun go down on your wrath. That's very much been, (laughs) sometimes we roll over, you know, just as we're going to bed. And if we've been cranky with each other, it's a bit of a mutter through, through your teeth sometimes like, oh, I'm sorry, babe. But there's a there's power in the word sorry and I just refuse to take like the same as I didn't want to take the past into our marriage I don't want to take yesterday's stupid argument into tomorrow um and I find that it just makes the new day it's fresh you start again don't get me wrong there are still some things that we have to come and revisit sometimes but like everybody but we've just decided why get defensive like Let's just let each other talk it out and then let's get on with it. Let's deal with it. We don't always see eye to eye, but that's okay. We get there in the end. There has to be such a strong element of like trust and safety for Mm. you to feel like you both can just get it out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's cool. Mm. 
I wanted to ask you about being a mum. Mm. You sound like you've had some intense birth experiences. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell me about Riley mm. and the challenges that you had with her. That's a very long story. Um, but in summary, <laughs> so she was very much a God-given surprise. Um, we'd been married five years, so it wasn't really a surprise to anyone else, but it was to us. And I wasn't overly well during the pregnancy, but, you know, it's your first pregnancy. You don't really, you've got nothing to compare it to, but ended up having her um, right from the get-go. We didn't know this at the time, but she had quite severe allergies um, to milk, even to breast milk. Um, because she's allergic to the protein in the milk, not the lactose. Like a lot of people will be like, oh, I've got lactose-free milk. And I'm like, no, it's not the lactose, it's the protein. And even in breast milk, there's protein. So um, from the minute we brought her home, she just was so unwell. (laughs) But we didn't know she had those allergies until she was four years old. So we spent quite a lot of time in hospital with her, in between when she was one and two, we were in there for eight months in a row because she just kept um, just kept getting sick. Her lungs kept collapsing. Um, we couldn't work out why. Eventually, they, they realized that she was aspirating. So there was, um, you know, they watched in a test where her food and drink was going and it turns out that it was spilling over into her lungs and there was then uh, bacteria cultivating in her lungs as a result of those, you know, foreign bodies being in there, um, which then caused her lungs to collapse. And at the time, we didn't know that. So the doctors were treating her for asthma um, with steroids and puffers. And, and of course, she had infections as well. So she was on just a truckload of IV antibiotics, uh, feeding tube up through her nose. Um, you name it, she had it. If, I feel awful when I look back at how much she was poked and prodded in the first five years of her life. But anyway, um, thankfully, eventually we found out that we nearly lost her a couple of times because her lungs kept collapsing and they'd sort of wean her off the oxygen for us to go home. And then we'd go home, we'd be home for four hours and then I'd be calling the ambulance again because she was either blue or, you know, she'd was limp because she'd flopped over because she couldn't breathe. Um, And so that just sort of resulted in being in a sleep-deprived mess. (laughs) At the time, we were running youth um, and we were also running an extension service, which would now be called Campus. Um, So we were responsible for about 250 people at the time as well. And it's funny because I found myself feeling guilty that I wasn't there, you know, I wasn't there for Grant to help him. But God really just, I learnt a lesson while I was in that hospital bed with her. And that was, I just felt like God say to me one day after we nearly lost her, um, I went back to my room after the drama had subsided and I just felt like God say to me, you know, when you get to heaven, I don't want to say to you, well done good and faithful servant because you built a great youth ministry and you 
you cooked a meal for that lady and you went and saw that that woman in prison. All of those things are noble and definitely of my heart, but I just felt a real challenge of God saying to me, what am I going to say to you though when I address your front line? Because I was just, I was in denial. I was taking her here, there and everywhere and I, I learnt that lesson really hard um, and just felt like God told me to go home and get your home in order. Not necessarily your house but your home. Um, you know, it's hard, it is hard to keep your house <laughs> in order when you've got kids but I was never the, I never cooked, like Grant did all the cooking because he's a baker and he's good at that. Um, But I just felt a real challenge that this was my time to step up. Um, You know, it was stressful even leaving the house because we couldn't even fit or find two socks that matched. And so just really simple things like that. I just felt like if I can get my home in order so that it's a place where we can come, we can plug in, we can get recharged. Because I just felt like God saying, if if your home is not in order, if it's just always a big ball of stress, then nothing you ever touch, you know, out from your home is really going to be peaceful. <laughs> I don't want to operate from from a heart of stress. So I got really busy at learning how to cook I still not I'm still not that great. <laughs> I'm pretty simple, but um yeah, just got my home in order. And that doesn't mean my house my house does get messy. But just the basic things. I'm always trying to be on top of my washing because it just eliminates stress. And um and we've made that decision as a family as well. It's not just me doing it. If we've always done ministry together, um so if if Grant and I are expecting me to be at extracurricular activities, then I'm expecting him to partner with me and help me with the house as well. So that's how we view life. We just, we do everything together. <laughs> Sounds corny, I know, but it's true. So we just, we're a good team. He picks up where I, I lax. Dude, and I pretty versa. much feel like I've dropped the ball like this mm. whole term. Josh is just like doing the cooking and the cleaning and the laundry. And it's like, that's all right, babe. I went mm. through a dark time last year and yeah. really like, you know, held yep. everything together. So I'm going to do this for you now. And I was like, thanks. Yeah. Yep. We've definitely had that as well. Yeah, but, but you're going to talk about that's it. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. You just got to acknowledge where you're at. Yeah. I can't, I can't even imagine what that was like to live through mm. with Riley. It was very back. difficult. That sounds traumatic, actually. Yeah, it's only really come to an end, too. Uh, probably, probably two years being free from that now. She's still got, you know, I totally believe that she's um, just getting healed every day. Uh, she's 100% better than what she was. You know, when she was in from prep to grade two, she was only doing school part-time three days a week wow. um, because she just was so unwell and was just in hospital all the time. So it was just too much for her. But now oh, she would we try to give her a day off school and she's like, no, nah, I'm going. <laughs> so she doesn't miss a beat now. She's going really well 
And um, I mean, I know you asked about my births and stuff, but yeah. So I was gonna yeah. say, so you, I don't know, did you survive that? Like, did you like you came out of that? Yeah. To have your second daughter, mm. and then your waters broke at nineteen weeks. Yes, while I was at youth. <laughs> Um, that was a crazy experience as well. Um, Riley was about three and a half. It took us a long time to have another baby because my head was just in the sand. Um, I remember Riley turning three and I was like, babe, she's three. We haven't even thought about having another baby yet because I just, I had not even, not even thought twice about it. Um, but yeah, I, I was work back working at the time doing the hearing testing and, um, my, I was at youth, there was a big lead up to it. I had just felt off all week. And, um, then at youth on, on the Friday night, I left, decided to leave early cause I just had just really bad pains down the side of my, my right side of my belly. And as I got, I'm sorry, this is graphic, but as I got in the car, I realized that my jeans were wet, like down to my knees. And I was, but I was so exhausted <laughs> that, um, I, and I put Riley in the car and I got in the car and I was like, oh, I hope that's not my waters. <laughs> and, but I was so tired. I just got in the car, got myself home. I put Riley to bed and I just went to bed. And then the following day, um, it hadn't gone away. And the, but the following day, Grant had gone, it was in 2011, right around the time of the floods. And um, Grant had gone to help rebuild houses uh, with city care at the time. And I couldn't get in contact with him. I didn't even get to tell him that it, that had happened at youth the night before because I'd gone home early. He'd stayed back to pack down and take kids home. And I was long gone before he got home. And... Um, so, yeah, I couldn't get in contact with him. I couldn't get in contact with my parents either because they'd gone to Grantham to see friends of theirs that had lost everything. So I found myself, I dropped Riley at a friend's house and she said to me, I feel so bad you're going to the hospital alone. And I said, yeah, but I would much rather you have Riley because I don't even, I don't know if I'm going to have a baby today. And if I do have a baby today... I know in my nursing mind, I work in maternity, I know that's a dire situation. So I got into the office and he said, look, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. Um, I've done a test of, you know, the water and it's definitely um, like amniotic fluid, which means your membranes have ruptured or your waters have broken. So I want you to go home, prepare to lose the baby. This is your body's way of saying the baby's no good. Um, if you were 24 weeks, we'd be able to do something for you, but you're not. So you're going to go home. Your body's going to go into labor. And when you do, give us a call. You can come in and have the baby. And I was booked into Sunnybank Hospital at the time, which is a smaller private hospital in Brisbane. And um, I knew I worked there <laughs> as well. I knew that they were only equipped for a 35-weeker, a 35-week pregnancy baby and upwards. So I knew I was reading between the lines. I'm 19 weeks. My body's about to go into labor within the next week, you know, and I'm going to have this baby at this little private hospital, but they're not going to be able to do anything for me because they're not equipped for that. Oh 
So I got on the phone, um, called my boss and said, look, you're a midwife. I said, I'm not a midwife. You're a midwife. What would you do? And she said, I'd be getting transferred straight away to the MARTA um, because we've seen 19 weekers survive. So I did that, had an appointment. They hospitalized me straight away and um, I was on bed rest for five and a half months. Defied all the odds, had her at 38 weeks and um, total, t- totally healthy baby. <laughs> Absolutely nothing wrong with her. <laughs> so... That is my sassy little Abby Rose. <laughs> How I can't even imagine the mm. fear. Like, it was that very goes fearful. You. Yeah, we had printed out our ultrasound and put it on my on the wall, so that every time I woke up, that's the first thing I saw. And I we just we named her. We knew that she was a girl at that stage, and we named her Abby because we were prophesying that she would be her father's joy. And rose means to grow or to blossom. So we named her that intentionally to prophesy over her every morning that she would be her father's joy, that she'd live to be that and that she would grow and that she would blossom. And um, But every day the doctors would come and do their rounds. They'd sit down and sort of tap me, tap my knee and say, look, it's not looking good. If you can get to 24 weeks, maybe we can help you. But if you go into labour from now until then, then, you know, I never really finish the sentence. They're like, you know. <laughs> so. Hmm. Were you ever annoyed with God? <laughs> I mean, you come out of this experience with Riley and then go into this with Abby. Mm. I, <laughs> I don't want you to think I'm a saint because I'm not. Um, <laughs> But I, t- I can honestly say that I, I don't think I was. Mm. I just, I just, I guess I just kind of think, why waste energy on mm. being annoyed at God? God's actually, he's not there to harm you. He's, mm. he's there to help you through. So I don't know, I just, I've never wanted to waste energy even going there in my mm. thought pattern. I was disappointed don't get me wrong. I think I was a little bit depressed through that time because um, I sort of knew it was only July and I wasn't due until December. So I knew either way that the rest of the year for me was a write-off. Like if I'm going to carry her to full term, then I'm on my back. I can't get up. You know, I can't do anything. I had to eat my dinner lying down um, and I could only go to the bathroom a couple of times a day. Uh, so I knew that the rest of the year would be a write-off. If I had her early, then I knew we'd be in intensive care, you know, for three to five months. So I guess I just settled that in my head. I was frustrated because, you know, I had to finish work. Grant had to get a second job. Um, it, it was hard. <laughs> He'd often come home from church and be like, oh, today was such a good service. And to be honest, my headspace at that time was like, you know what, I don't even care how church was because I'm I'm here in this bed for the next six months, regardless of what's going to happen. Um, I do remember feeling a bit dirty about that. But in terms of being annoyed at God, I've just, I don't think I've ever allowed myself to go there. Just, it is what it is. Just let's get on with it. 
What kind of conversations mm. did you have with God in that time? I imagine, mm. oh, like, I'd get so bored, I think. I was pretty you, bored. Yeah, you seem like someone who is a doer, you yeah. know? And so to mm. suddenly be stopped in that yeah. way mm-hmm. and it's like a screeching halt yep. and now it's just like, mm. like what, what did you talk to God about? Um, it's funny, actually. A lot of people said to me, oh... I bet you've watched a lot of movies and I actually didn't watch one movie, not one. <laughs> I watched a bit of TV, like I watched some TV series, um, but I probably only watched maybe two or three TV series in that time. Uh, but I, I actually started a business <laughs> while I was in bed. Um, at the time, a friend of mine and I, we, we just liked to make these like baby headbands because <laughs> I had two girls or one girl at that time, but knew I was having another one. And, um, yeah, we just started making these, like, material flowers and we would stick them on headbands. And our friends started asking us to make them for them, so we did. And she would often come and visit me and, uh, yeah, we just put them on Etsy one day and then before you knew it, we had a business. (laughs) So that was quite interesting. We run the, ran the business for two years after that and um, the demand just got too great. We were like selling, we sold a few to Sweden and to these like Premi twins and it was really exciting at the time but it was too much work. <laughs> I had time to do it obviously when I was just on my back but with a newborn it quite quickly came to a halt after that. So yeah, that's what I ended up doing with my time. Did you ever feel like you've been sidelined, like, spiritually? Without a shadow of a doubt, I have definitely... That's probably where I've questioned the most. Um, But not in anger. I've never been angry. I'm not really an angry person. No, you don't seem like an angry person at all. It has to be something really big to get me mad. but um, And then I get mad. (laughs) But, yeah, I definitely... Rather than being sidelined, I liken it to being... I feel like I've almost been... And I know you can't see my hand right now, but I've always been plucked out of life. <laughs> you know, like you're you're on the treadmill of life. You're doing the same thing every day. And I just feel like God just... That took me off that treadmill with his big hand. You know, his big giant hand. He just picked me up and put me over there. And... Um, to be honest, when I was on bed rest, I did say to God, why are we? Why am I doing this lesson again? I've already been plucked out of life when I sat in a hospital bed with my daughter wow. for those years. Um, what didn't I learn before? Because <laughs> this is the same thing. And I honestly think it comes back to, and this is me being totally honest and vulnerable, but comes back to when God challenged me about getting my home in order. And I did get my home in order, but then I, I guess I'm addicted to not busyness, but, you know, life rolls on. You do get busy. You commit to a lot of things. And before you know it, you're at capacity and you're like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> how did I get here? And I feel like that was a lesson both times. I just felt like I needed that time out to recuperate and I'm not saying that God made Riley sick at all but I do know that he used it 
to replenish and rejuvenate me and to draw me back closer to him as well, to rely on him again. And I think it was the same with this pregnancy. Um, I just feel like life was getting really, really busy and out of control again. And it just helped me regroup all over again. <laughs> That's probably the biggest thing I, I thought. I just felt like I'd been plucked out. And once I was okay with that, I saw it as a good thing. Nothing I could do about it. So, How did it reset you spiritually? Just having all day and every day <laughs> to talk to him. Um, you know, just when life's busy, sometimes you forget or you might rush your time with God. Uh, it, I definitely didn't have to rush. <laughs> I had all day and every day. And I did talk to him a lot. So I think that's definitely how I reset. You say through the midst of all of this, you just learn to keep praising mm. and that there was incredible power in that. Yeah. Tell me more about that. I just learnt, uh, and we hear this at church all the time, you know, you just got to keep praising through your challenge and, and not just praising God for what he does, but praising him for who he is. Uh, you know, like, even, like if I can liken it to my kids, like I, rather than me always saying, oh, Abby, great job clearing the table. You know, I want to, and I do do those things as well, but I want my focus to be on not the tasks that she does, but, oh, Abby, the way that you just helped me then, you are such a helper. I love how you just saw that I needed help. Like if there's a difference in, praising God for what he he does or praising him for who he is and I just think if you can speak that out and prophesy that over your life it just reaffirms who God is in your life and there's such a power to it so yeah it I guess I've got a message on this actually um I laughed when Pastor Paul did his praise message because I have some similarities in there but I remember in that message talking about, you know, when you're selling a house, the real estate agent praises your house and you've probably not looked at your house in that way before, but the way they've worded it to make it sound amazing, it gives you a different perspective. And by the time you've read the ad for your house, half the time you don't want to sell your house anymore because you're like, wow, I didn't realize what I actually had. <laughs> and it just changes your perspective, I think. Yeah. What's your advice and your wisdom for women who might find themselves on the sidelines or plucked out like mm. you described and they might find themselves with doors that they thought had opened mm. are now shut and opportunities that might have existed mm. no longer exist? Yeah. I heard um, Pastor John Lewis say once, um, you know, God will open and close the doors. It's him that does that but it can be hell in the hallway. And mm. I've always remembered that because even though, <clears throat> you know, it might sound like, you know, we're praising through our circumstance and it might sound all strong and noble and that, there are definitely times where you feel like you're in the hell way, <laughs> you know, the hallway of hell. Um, because when all those doors are shut, it's definitely confusing and it's definitely, um, it can be sad 
um, because there's an acknowledgement of a season ending, um, you know, God closing that door. But I would just say, just if you've got yourself plugged into God, you know, you want to you want to live God's will anyway, right? Like I don't want to walk through a door or bash down my own door because if I do that, God's favor is not going to be on it anyway. Like even if that door looks attractive, if I force myself through that door, it's not going to be very fun once I'm in there and it's not going to last either. So I would just say, just be confident in the season that you're in. It doesn't mean that you're a failure. It's just a prepping ground for something that's next. And perhaps God needs to pluck you out or refocus you or regroup you because whatever's coming is going to be amazing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. To find out more about IC Church and Favour Women, just follow the link in the episode description. Make sure you share this episode with someone else and I will see you next time. Bye.